Welcome to Tax and Super Australia's podcast, Tax Wrap, where we share developments, news and insights for all tax practitioners and SMSF professionals. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes and share. We'd love to hear back from you, so send questions and comments, even suggestions for guest speakers, to podcast at taxandsuperaustralia.com.au. Hello listeners, welcome to the Tax Wrap Podcast, we're into episode 175, I'm Steve Burnham and uh, I had a chat this week with Joshua Goldsmith who's a tax advisor and lawyer at Deloitte and Joshua is going to be um, hosting our inaugural breakfast tax discussion groups. Uh, they're only in Melbourne at the moment, I'm sorry, but uh, we're um, launching this uh, new initiative, breakfast discussion groups. First one's on October 3 and Joshua is uh, uh, going to host them. Now, um, we also provide tea, coffee and pastries. Uh, the new, this new discussion group, there's no need to subscribe for a whole year, just register and you can do that up until 5pm the day before. Anyway, I spoke to Joshua about um, himself, his business and um, uh, what he's going to bring to the table on these new tax, breakfast tax discussion groups. Thanks for coming in, Joshua. It's a real pleasure to have you on the Tax Wrap podcast. Um, we're all looking forward to hearing you and seeing you in the uh, upcoming uh, breakfast tax discussion groups but look first of all perhaps can you tell us about a little bit about yourself and your your business yeah thank you steve thanks for having me um so i'm a tax advisor at deloitte i'm a qualified lawyer i've been at deloitte for nearly a year now and before that i was at picture partners okay. um, i specialize largely in income tax broadly across all areas of income tax and and um, c- consulting and a little bit of dispute resolution work for the tax office okay yep yep and that's individuals in business and the whole gamut of income yeah tax. the whole gamut okay. um, i guess that's the nice part about where i'm working is that you do get the whole gamut so okay. uh, i guess we, we get the mum and dad investors and the businesses and, oh, and right. the, the family businesses and then you also get those businesses that are Absolutely enormous. Oh, right. <laughs> Which you do as well? You deal with as well? Yeah, I deal a little bit with that. Okay. I, I mainly do family tax advisory. Um, okay. So, so mainly family groups, family businesses, deal yeah. a lot with trusts and, okay. and companies uh, and, and small mid-caps. I don't really do a lot of uh, the very large companies. No, so. okay. Now, you've done a bit of presenting before, I understand. Can you tell us a bit about, a bit about that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I've done quite a lot of facilitation. Um, facilitation, yeah. Yeah, and right, public yeah. speaking before. So. Okay. In my university days, I was um, I was working at a place called Elevate Education, which okay. was just a terrific opportunity for me. So, I was going around Australia and South Africa and, and a little bit in the UK, and I was um, running study skills presentations, which right. covered goal setting and time management. And this was to upwards of seven hundred people at a time. And, okay. Yeah. Um, so it was a terrific opportunity. It led me to be able to train present presenters and facilitators, yep. and and really think. Uh, and really explore what I think is a really efficient um, and effective facilitator. Okay, yeah, so it's really good to get the message across, which is what we all like to, you know, experience. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I think there are a lot of um, there are a lot of presenters that are not necessarily the most engaging presenters, but I guess content's one thing, but the way that it's delivered is, is incredibly important. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the um, inaugural breakfast tax discussion group is coming up in October, early October. Um, can you give us an idea of what sort of people might might hear about and might uh, might be discussed in that session. I'm really excited about this, Steve. Me too. <laughs> I, I think it's going to be really cool. So the uh, the discussion group's going to be largely about different tax changes and updates, and this could be legislative or this could be guidance from the tax office and any yep. announcements and watch outs. Okay. Yep. Uh, the thing that I really like about discussion groups and what I note about uh, the, the really good and fruitful discussion groups 
uh, are those in which you get sort of whole room participation. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, of course, I'll come um, researched and loaded and, and prepared to give an opinion, but it's going to be a one-and-a-half-hour discussion group, and I think the best discussion groups are when the facilitators essentially ensure that everyone in the room is giving their view or those yep. that wish to give their view. Yeah. Um, yep. I, I really like the concept of this collaborative learning and understanding. Well, I look, because everyone's got something to, to contribute. Everyone's got something to say. They've had different experiences. And, of course, the people that are going to be in the discussion group are tax practitioners. And, of course, you'll find that they have clients who have certain concerns and worries and whatever, and everyone has a good idea. And uh, hopefully if you can keep that going, that's going to be a lively discussion. Completely agree. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've got one view, but there are a lot of incredibly clever and experienced people in the room, and, and I'd love to hear as many different parts of what they do in their different client experiences, yep. and hopefully collaboratively everyone can get more out of that. Okay. Can I just uh, throw a little bit of a, not a, well, a suggestion, but a, an inquiry and perhaps an early look at what we might be discussing um, at this uh, discussion group is um, the recently uh, tabled base rate entity changes, et cetera, that have gone down. Can you bring a little bit of a light to that uh, recent development? Yeah, so this is, a, this is a funny one, this base rate entity legislation, because yeah. it... Um, there were a few tranches. So there was a first tranche which was introduced, which was basically increasing the threshold and lowering the tax rate to who's able to access a reduced tax rate. Yep. Uh, and then I guess the, the second tranche of legislation um, was proposed to implement this base rate entity understanding, which is that 80% passive income, 20% active income, oh, yeah, yeah. is who's able to access the reduced corporate tax rate. Yep. And I guess the third part of this was um, this ultimate proposal by 2025 to increase the reduced corporate tax rate to companies with a turnover up to $1 billion. Right. Now, the base rate entity legislation, this 80-20 split, um, only just made it through the Senate. So this was sitting there for it hell of a long time, Yeah, yeah. Um, just made it through it. It caused a little bit of distress for, for um, quite a lot of accountants and, and um, advisors and tax, tax agents of, of clients to whom this may affect. It did cause a little bit of confusion, but what we now have is we, we now have an element of certainty. Yep. There was this third tranche of increasing the threshold up to a billion dollars that never made it through the Senate. Uh, okay. So this is the one that went back and forward in the newspapers where Pauline Hanson changed her mind. And oh, that's, that's there was right. There uh, was a bit of toing and froing. And yeah, of course, yeah. in, a, in an uncertain political landscape, you do have policies which are going to significantly affect tax, that's don't you? That's true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, and <laughs> so now we've got this. Now we've got a new leader, Scott Morrison, and he's come out and signalled his intention basically to... Um, to have another amendment for small businesses. So, oh, oh really? What's which? What's the amendment? Uh, so basically, he's just proposed, and all of this is all of this is very early days. But he's proposed yep. two options, which uh, essentially is going to be accelerating uh, accelerating the time in which small businesses are able to ac access that ultimate reduced tax rate of twenty five percent. Oh, okay, okay. Accelerating it by years, by yeah, yeah, by okay. a couple of years. So again, okay. nothing's nothing set in stone now, and this is not even in any sort of draft form. Right, but this was right. just a signalled intention. Yep, yep. With political change comes, um, or the ears of tax advisors must prick up. Uh, <laughs> of course. Well, look, hopefully something will be resolved by early October, but it's a good thing that we're, you're keeping on top of the of current developments, etc. Um, Joshua, what's, give us a bit of an idea of what your general view of the tax system is in Australia. I'd, would, I'd really like to hear that. Yeah. So this is what draws me into the tax world. I think, uh, I think the tax uh, legislation currently is really complicated. It's yep. really complex. 
Uh, this no, one, no one's going to disagree with that. That's no, it. no, <laughs> it's obvious. highly complex. And yeah. this, is, this is where the fun and excitement comes in for the advisors and the tax agents <laughs> because we need to make sure that we're across all areas. Yeah, um, yeah. Particularly why discussion groups are so valuable is because we want to hear so many different interpretations of what the law and the guidance currently says. That's right, yeah. Um, so what's my view? I think it's complex, yeah. um, <laughs> which, which I think is quite a loaded... Uh, quite a loaded view of our of our tax system. It's interesting. Well, it, it, a loaded view, but of course, saying that it's you know underlining that there's always something to talk about. There's Very much. To discuss. Yeah. Very much. I actually heard Scott Morrison speak a couple of weeks ago, and um, he was uh, he was introduced by Mark Liebler, who's um, obviously a very senior partner at, at Arnold Block Liebler, and okay. and uh, he basically ran out the tax system in front of Scott Morrison. In, 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 he ran out the the New Zealand tax system in in front of Scott Morrison. Right. Yeah. And uh, then Mark Liebler finished his introduction and said, "Sounds like a fantasy." No, it's not. It's the New Zealand tax system. <laughs> oh, really? And so this really put the pressure back on Scott Morrison. So there are areas in which other jurisdictions are better than us. There are areas in which um, oh, yeah, in, yeah. in which we've got a little bit more clarity. But yeah, yeah. I think it's fun. I think it's forever changing. And yeah, yeah. Um, it's really interesting to see what this change in politics is going to do to our tax system. Well, I don't, wait and see. But yeah, you're right. It's extremely interesting. And uh, I'm glad we've got someone like you on board, enthusiastic, and just deciphering all the kerfuffle that happens out there for us. And um, I'm looking forward to the discussion groups obviously, as you are. Very much so. <laughs> very much. Um, Joshua, thanks very much for the time to come in today. We'll all see you in October. Thank you, Stephen. And we're back. Um, now, Tax and Super Australia um, provide a helpline service for members where members can ring in, tax practitioners who are members can ring in with a problem. Maybe they've got a, been given a curly conundrum by their client and they can ring us and get the answer. Uh, there's been a bit of movement lately. Uh, a lot of the helpline calls lately have been on, on subjects uh, such as commercial debt forgiveness, testamentary trusts, uh, also been questions on co cost basis and pre and post 1985 uh, CGT issues, um, and the two-year rule on main residences. And uh, I spoke to the, our head of uh, our senior tax specialist, Michael McCarthy, about one of these topics, which is commercial debt, and here's what, here's what we uncovered. Okay, Michael. Now, so tell us about the. Uh, now you had a case that came through on the hot uh, hotline <laughs> helpline um, recently about uh, regarding commercial debt forgiveness. Tell us the details. Yeah, look, this was one Steve where a member rang in and it was a shareholder that had loaned money to a company. Yep. And they wanted to tidy up the balance sheet of the company to get rid of some of the loans. I think there was a new buyer or a shareholder coming in. Ah, oh, yeah. And yep. so they were just going through that. And he went through what he was doing. He did the uh, the entries for the for the loan to be forgiven. Now, so sorry, the shareholder lent the company money. Shareholder okay. lent the company money. A yep. lot of times, the company lends shareholders. That's the Division Seven A scenario, yep. isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and if that happens, you do have the Div Seven A issues. Yep. Fringe yep. benefits tax issues. So right, there's, right. Um, there are quite a few issues to be concerned okay. with there. But this is the other direction. So it's the shareholder giving to the company, loaning, loaning. Yeah, loaning to the company. Okay. So so those issues weren't there. But the member, I suppose, thought, well, there's got to be something going on with tax. Yeah, yeah. Um, because if the loan's forgiven, the shareholder will basically is likely liable to uh, claim a capital loss on that loan. Ah, oh, okay. So yeah, because it's, it's capital, uh, on capital account. On capital account, yeah. Right, so okay. it's lent, lent money to the 
company. That's an asset. Uh, so. Forgiven the company of that amount. Right. Um, so an asset to the shareholder. Shareholder, yeah. Shareholder's getting nothing for his loan. Huh. So arguably there, there's a capital loss for the shareholder. For him, yep. So I suppose the member's thinking, okay, on that side of things, there's a capital loss. There's always with taxes the other side of the coin. Right, If right. there's a loss, there might be a gain somewhere else. Yep. And, uh, and that was the query is uh, in the books of the account, I suppose, if we go back to our debits and credits. Okay. You debit the shareholder's loan. And in this case, he credited the profit and loss. He called it an extraordinary item, like a debt forgiven. Yep. So there's the credit there um, that shows up. And what's the tax issues of that? Right. That's interesting. And what, what was the outcome? So w- with that, it was basically determining, is it a commercial debt? Oh, yeah. And that's yep. probably uh, the first thing to do. Um, and with Division 245 of the 97 Act, um, it goes through then the steps of, OK, let's determine, is it a commercial debt forgiven? Right. So, so in that case, we've got to go to some of the steps to say, OK, is it a commercial debt? Now, if the whole or any part of the interest paid or payable in respect of a debt would be allowed as a tax deduction, oh, yeah. then it's satisfying the commercial debt requirements. Right. Now, this loan, there was no interest. No, okay, yep. But the test doesn't stop as uh, if the interest. It also says that if interest isn't payable, then it'll be a commercial debt where if interest had have been payable. So sometimes in the Tax Act, they have these deeming provisions okay. like what if there was interest. Yep. And yep. this is um, this is one of those. Okay, okay. So yep. what if there was interest? So the shareholder's going to... Uh, he's lent the money interest interest free. If there was interest, it, it's a good argument that the shareholder would have claimed that interest oh, on his tax return. Yep. And the reason for that would be the shareholders lent money to the company. Yep. And in the anticipation of getting dividends, a return. From the company, yeah. Yeah. A return. Yep. Right. So in that regard, there's an argument to say if there was interest, it would have been deductible to the shareholder in that case. Yep. So. Yep. That's that's one of the first things to look at, um, and just on that, if it's not the whole debt that's forgiven, oh. if it's only part of a debt, yep. that still doesn't alter the fact that the whole debt will be a commercial debt right. forgiven. Yep. Now, so that's that's the first thing. The second thing, there's got to obviously be a forgiven debt. Third thing is, are there any exclusions? What, what does that mean? Now, exclusions are things like, you know, is it done under bankruptcy law? Was it done by a will? I, I get it, I see. Yep. Um, your podcast recently, you mentioned natural love and affection. That's right. That's right. Yep, a, yep, a okay. TD with that. Yep. So those sort of things say then that no, that's excluded from being a commercial debt forgiven. Right. Other things, again, this was a case where the shareholder loaned money, but the other way around, it could be like the debt is waived and there's fringe benefits and Div 7A implications if it's the other way around. If it's around. The other from the company yeah. to the shareholder. Yeah, yeah if the company yeah. forgives the debt. Right. So once we've determined then that we said, okay, this is a commercial debt forgiven, yep. then that's where the tax um, effect kicks in. Okay. Now, the member, I suppose, was thought at the time, oh, the, is this income that we've got to pay tax on? which wouldn't Uh, be a great result for them. And that's not the case. But what happens for a commercial debt forgiven is the amount forgiven, you'll deduct any amount that has been received, and then you'll get to a net forgiven amount. And then with that net forgiven amount, it's that amount 
that has a tax effect by four, four steps. The first one is you reduce the carry forward revenue tax losses. Right. Yep. So if the company has revenue tax losses, they're, they're reduced. Yep. If the company has uh, net capital losses, they are reduced. If there's expenditure that's in the balance sheet, such as depreciable assets, oh, right. yep. they're reduced. So you're losing future depreciation oh, claims. okay, of course, yeah. So these, these are the, uh, the effects that can happen with cost base of uh, CGT assets. They can be reduced. Right, yep. So then you, you've got a lesser cost base and the to tax start effect yep. in the future is a yep. higher capital gains tax bill, maybe. So what's happening is these adjustments... It's not a tax on the commercial debt forgiven, but it affects other aspects of the tax situation. Other so which aspects, like yep. Depreciation and capital gains and, as you said, yes. uh, losses. Yes, okay. yeah. And these rules came in, I suppose, because on one hand the shareholder's claiming a capital loss, but on the other hand, what's happening with the, the gain or the, the, gain, it, well, it, or the it, credit? The company <laughs> doesn't get a capital uh, credit. Am I misreading that? Is that... No, no, and that was one of the um, the member actually asked that. He said, where's the capital gains tie in with the company? Right. But when you look at the debt, it's actually a loan to a shareholder. So in the balance sheet, that's a liability. Right. So there is no asset for there to be a capital a, gains a capital tax effect. effect. Yeah, actually, yeah. yeah. Whereas there is with the shareholder because there is an asset. That the, the they hand it over. Yeah, being the amount they're owed. Yeah, so that's, yeah. that's the asset there. So... With those different options of reducing those amounts, you can choose which class of the various revenue losses, capital losses, etc., that you you wish to reduce the net forgiven amount. Yep. But once you choose a class, you've got to use the maximum extent possible of that of that different category. So if there's revenue losses of thirty thousand dollars, you and you've got a forgiven amount of eighty thousand oh, dollars, right. you must use the thirty thousand for okay. the revenue losses. Yep. And then. The next one, capital losses, and yeah, so use the maximum amount there. Okay. Um, look, the only other thing to maybe add is any part of the net forgiven amount is disregarded after those, right. un- unless the debt is a partnership, and there's different rules for a partnership. Oh, okay. And in yep. such cases, the residual amount is applied against the reducible amounts of the partners. So you've got to keep looking to the partners' assets. Well, yeah. Well, they, they take each uh, each one takes care of their own liabilities. Yes. For the partnership. Yes. Okay, and was the member satisfied with that? He, he, he was, because I think when he uh, rang, he was a bit concerned that there's, you know, one way of looking at it is you've got a credit in the profit and loss and tax at 27.5%. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, is not a great thing. There were losses in his case. Individually? Uh, no, see, the uh, company had losses, oh, so company, he did sorry, have to apply some. Yeah. But when you look at the steps, if a company has no revenue losses, yep. no carry forward capital losses, uh, no depreciable assets on the balance sheet. And as the member said, these days sometimes with the 20,000 write-off, and oh, you know, it, sometimes you might have... It's a, more common than not. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not you might depreciable, yeah. Yeah, you might have uh, depreciable assets in the balance sheets for tax purposes of zero. All oh, right. But in reality, they still have a market value. Yeah. So, but yeah. we're talking about the, um, the undeducted amounts of right. these. So, yeah, so there can be situations where the, the commercial debt forgiven doesn't actually trigger anything yeah, in yeah. the side of the company. Okay. Um, even though there is a, can be a capital loss for the shareholder. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you would have been satisfied, I think. 
So he was, yeah, he mm. he, he was happy um, with the result of that, and yep. it was probably different to how he thought it was going to play out. Okay, yeah. Well, it's it's an interesting, it's a different scenario. The the individual shareholder aligning to the company, but look, it might happen yeah. in other cases, and perhaps members can uh, take that bit of knowledge with them that uh, there was ways around it. Yeah, <laughs> and I suppose the shareholder in this case, it was. I, I think it was like tidying things up for a new owner to come in, or oh, so yeah. there was reasons for um, for taking that, getting that taken care of. Yeah, uh, yeah, for taking that. And look, one of the things I didn't mention with uh, the net forgiven amount. Oh, yeah. It, it is based on a an assumption of solvency because sometimes oh, well, a yeah. company may not be able to pay. Yep. Due to it being insolvent. Yep. But the commercial debt forgiveness rules are based on, as I say, an assumption that the company. You can keep can trading. pay the, the amount. Yep, fair enough. All right, uh, interesting. Thanks, Michael. Stay around, listeners. We'll be right back. Thanks, Lou. Okay, we're back. Um, I'm with Michael again, Michael McCarthy, the uh, senior tax specialist. Uh, and another, uh, I don't know why at this time of year, but it's perhaps just, just a coincidence that helpline call uh, register has had a lot of, on the topic of testamentary trust, or rather deceased estates and the ruling on um, the taxing point uh, with, with the deceased estates and who, who gets taxed, the beneficiary and the uh, estate, and how, it, how it's all worked out. So here's what we uncovered there. Well, look, the, with the testamentary trust, it's more, Steve, that we're getting frequent inquiries just on the treatment of deceased estates oh, and okay. testamentary trusts and um, the workings of it from okay. a, a tax point of view. Oh, on the taxing of... The, the taxing points, okay. uh, beneficiaries receiving funds at certain points of time. Okay, yeah. And uh, we, we dug up a ruling, and I thought it's worth mentioning, it's IT2622. IT2622, okay. And, look, it's pretty old. I think it's issued in 1990, but it just gives a good guide. We've been using that with members that are ringing on deceased estate queries yep. as to you know filing tax returns and taxing points and okay. what have you yeah and yeah and a few haven't been aware that it's there and it just goes through the stages of deceased estates and taxing points yeah and we found it useful because with deceased estates at certain points of time the executor may pay funds out even though the uh, estate hasn't been fully administered ah okay yep so this it just goes through who pays the tax, at what stages. Uh, generally, it's when the beneficiary is presently entitled to the income. Okay, so there's no question about what they're going to get. It's yeah. Like they, a, yeah, okay. And they can demand the funds and the funds right. are passed over. But yep. what, whilst the estate's in administration, they, they don't really have present entitlement to, to say, now, give me the funds. Oh, no. Okay. And look, there's lots of legalities with deceased estates that I'm, I'm not a, a lawyer by any means, but no, things well, like uh, granting of probate and uh, yeah, sometimes yeah. time limits where uh, wills can be challenged and this oh, sort of well. thing. The executor sometimes requ- is required to retain the yeah, funds yeah. until such time that once yes. he can hand them over, he's happy that there's nothing coming back. No encumbrance, but that's more for the solicitors, isn't it? But uh, as far as tax goes, what's what's the now? As far, far as tax goes, during the stages of administration, it might be then that the executor looks and says, "Oh, look, we've got funds here; we can pay these out." Yep. And if anybody's been involved with deceased estates, sometimes they might say, "Oh, the funds are there. Why aren't they paying them out at a certain oh, point yeah. of time?" And sometimes paying them pre thirtieth of June or post thirtieth of June makes a difference as to oh, there you go, who really? pays. 
tax on the funds. Yep. So with uh, the initial stages, if the executor pays funds out to the beneficiaries, even though it's in administration, at that point of time, the beneficiaries receiving the funds, they're subject to the tax on those funds. Okay, right. And the, okay. and the executor will provide them with the information to declare that uh, income in their own returns. Right. Nearly like if, if there was funds that were, as at 30th of June, were retained, but on the 1st of July they were paid out. Yep. Well, that's a different financial year. So it might be in that case that the tax has been paid on that income by the trustee or by the executor. Okay. Yep. So timing is a... Oh, okay. So, but after July one, it's up to the whoever gets the. Well, a bit, a bit different to a discretionary trust. Sometimes discretionary trusts have the trustee discretion at the end of June yep. to say, okay, you're entitled to these funds. Right. Um, and then at that point, even though they haven't received them, the beneficiaries Still pay tax on those funds. Yep, yep. But with the, the deceased estate, it's really just a physical payment of funds. It might be like, okay, it's 30th of June, we'll pay the money. Yep. But if that's the case, the beneficiaries receive the funds before the end of June, they'd pay tax. Yep. Uh, if they receive them a day later, the executor would do the trust tax return or the deceased estate tax return. Oh, okay. And yeah, they I see. sort out the tax. Because the deceased estate has to do a final tax return at some stage. The deceased estate has to do a final tax return, and that's one of the points mentioned. That's why this IT2622 can be handy in the final year of the estate when it's fully administered, right. you've got a situation where there'll be income earned by the estate and in that same year it's paid out to the beneficiaries. Oh, right. yep. Now, the IT says that where that happens, the executor can actually split that final year into two periods. The period that the estate was fully administered up to that point. Yep. And if they do that, then the executor will be responsible for the income up to that point. Right. And then any time after the estate is fully administered, the beneficiaries may Have receive the funds after that, and but that... they take care of it after that. Okay, so, yeah. So, so that's sort of different to what normally happens if it's ongoing. If it's ongoing, you wouldn't split years. It's no, just, no. It's just if they yeah. receive the money on 1st of July, well, that's okay. within that financial year. Yep. But, yeah, so... Uh, you know, from Paris 17 on of that IT, it just talks about when the estate is fully administered during a year and the options an executor has. Why would they choose that options? Well, an executor of a deceased estate can be taxed at resident individual rates yep. for up to three years. So it okay. might be handy having the executor pay the tax and not oh, of the course. beneficiary. Yep, that depending might be, on the circumstances. Yeah, higher marginal rates and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I see. So that can be a handy thing for executors in the final year of administration. Yep. Look, I did just bring in with me a... It's a tax office fact sheet, but with people that um, have to lodge the returns of deceased estates, one of the... They've got a quite a detailed listing of what an executor should do... Okay, yep. ..for that deceased estate. One, one thing years ago was... If a trust earned at least one dollar of income, they had to do a tax return. <laughs> a dollar. A do yes, right. like uh, like anything. No tax-free threshold then. No, no tax-free thresholds. Oh. It's nearly like uh, people in business, like the requirements of lodging a tax return. Mm. Um, have you been in business? Yes. Earned one dollar or drive one dollar? Yeah. Yes. Got to do a tax return. Oh, okay. Which is different to the eighteen thousand two hundred threshold for for individuals. Individuals, yep. if there's no tax taken out, so. 
trusts were the same. So it was a bit of a fiddly old exercise for no purpose sometimes when you'd lodge a tax return yep. for a deceased estate. You'd put in a request because you had to do a request saying that we request that the estate be uh, subject to tax under section 29. It's a, uh, sorry, 2099. 99, okay. Under a um, deceased estate rules where the first three years can be subject to the individual rates. So you went through a lot of administration to get to a point where sometimes no tax was payable. <laughs> so that fact sheet titled deceased estates from the tax office just now puts it more in line with tax-free thresholds. Okay. Eighteen thousand two hundred. There are there are conditions for for you not being required to lodge a tax return for the deceased estate. Right, and they're all in that fact sheet. But what is there an identification number or something for that fact sheet? Or? It it's to be honest, it's not a. Uh, it's just come up with deceased estates. Oh, you know, if you so Google in deceased estates, ATO, and yep. on the bottom there's not a. Um, there's not. I think they have like a, a, a QC nat- number and that number. Yeah. No, there's not one of those with this. Okay. So that's just sort of some general information on deceased estates. Yeah, yeah. Okay, excellent. All right, um, thanks again, Michael. Thank you. Listeners, stay put. Okay, uh, here we are with this podcast's Wacky Tax Fact, or WTF. Okay, you ready? In 1917, during World War I, the price of admission into a place of entertainment was taxed. Government auditors attended race meetings, theatre and picture shows to ensure that the tax was both charged and paid. Uh, The same tax was reintroduced and imposed from 1942 to 1953. I didn't know that until just now, and now now you know as well. I'm just back briefly. Look, that's uh, our Tax Wrap podcast for this week. just a reminder, if you want to get involved with the Breakfast Tax Discussion Group's inaugural session being held on October 3, go to our website, look at the uh, uh, events page, and we're pleased to have Joshua Goldsmith, as you heard in the beginning of this podcast, to um, host and facilitate those meetings. Uh, you can uh, register even up to the 5pm on the day before, and you don't have to subscribe for a whole year. Oh, by the way, I should mention... Uh, a special operating uh, opening deal if you pay for two tax discussion groups, breakfast tax discussion groups. Pay for two, you'll get three, just as an offer. Okay, see you next time.